The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Geeks, and welcome to another edition of Wizards Half. This is mini-episode 59.5. These are the episodes where we get into all the nitty-gritty details we didn't have time for on the main episodes. And you better believe we have a lot to get into, because we had three, count them, three wizard staffers on episode 59, and they had a lot to say. Another big thanks to Justin Ackland, TJ Deesh, and the one and only Chris Ward for bringing their brand of humor, insight, and comics knowledge. Uh, to us all. There were some great behind-the-scenes stories there. I hope you enjoyed it. If you haven't listened to it, what are you doing? Go on back. Check it out. It almost felt like we won the lottery having that many wizard staffers on, but speaking of giveaways, let's get into Cap's Kooky Contests. Alright, first up here, Chaos Comics and Wizard want to send you to Purgatory. In celebration of the release of its new Purgatory title, Chaos Comics wants to send you to Purgatory, or at least somewhere just as hot, Phoenix, Arizona. Huh? That's right, one lucky reader who is fiend enough for Chaos will receive a trip to this year's Chaos Comics Halloween Bash and first annual Fiend Fest. You'll get to hang out with the Chaos crew and a duly authorized representative of Wizard Press all weekend and ask whatever questions you want about comic publishing. Get tips from the pros. Eat chicken fajitas with us. Just make sure to tell us what you think, because you'll be listed as a consulting editor for a future Chaos comic and get 100 complimentary copies of that issue. You'll attend the Halloween Bash, a costume is required, and hear Doomsday, the Chaos House Band. You'll eat free food, you'll drink booze. You gotta pay for your own tattoos, though. Hang out in the streets of Phoenix, sweat, get sunburned, maybe take in a Suns game. So how do you win? All you have to to do is tell us why you, above all others, are the ultimate chaos fiend. Let us know in your own fiendish essay which must be kept to 100 words or less. Let your love of all things chaotic shine through and you could be on your way. So this is wild for a couple reasons. First of all, I used to live in Phoenix, Arizona. I was there for a decade actually and it was quite an experience surviving that heat all those years. Definitely a lot of comic book fans, a lot of comic book shops in that area. But by the time I was there, I don't think that Chaos was publishing regularly, so I definitely wasn't aware of Brian Polito running around. But the thing that's interesting about this as well, this is a Purgatory contest. I just found the first issue of Purgatory at a secondhand store. You know, the full embossed red cover, like it was pretty wild. So that was a very interesting experience to find that in the wild. Also, they mentioned this band Doomsday. I was just reading through a different Lady Death comic, and in there, there was an ad for a CD from the band Doomsday that had Evil Ernie on the cover with Brian Polito and his wife were the actual producers of the album. So it's kind of interesting to see because I know that was advertised in Wizard as well, at least featured in their junk drawer section. So, all right, let's check out here what they have in their It's a legal party. Contest is open to anyone except a place of Wizard, Chaos Comics, and their immediate families 
or even the not-so-immediate families, we draw the line at crazy third cousins. <laughs> so I've never been able to do the math on that. I'm like, a second cousin twice removed, all that kind of stuff, you know? Offer void where prohibited, regulated, or restricted by law in a manner inconsistent with the purposes and rules hereof. Anyone who sends in a cheesy entry gets their ass kicked by the great pumpkin this Halloween. Man, they were just sneaking in that word everywhere they could, right? You know, we were counting them off in the episode, and there was yet one more. But speaking of one more, there's another contest in here. Yes, indeed, Wildstorm Productions presents the Name the Players contest. In terms of comic book universes, practically no one's is as big and exciting as Wildstorm's. Ongoing monthly titles like DEFCON 4 and Gen 13 and the new three-issue miniseries Brass are chock-full of excitement and chock-full of characters. Heck, there's so many characters, keeping track of them all can be pretty darn difficult, but if you can demonstrate your knowledge of Wildstorm characters, you can own them. How do I do that? Simple. Just fill out the attached scorecard and tell us the names of the members of the DEFCON 4 team, all four of them, the Gen 13 team, all five of them, and the Brass team, who's just one guy and his name's Brass, hint hint. Random winners who get them all right will receive grand prize number one. One reader will receive a piece of original 11 by 17 jam art by artists Richard Bennett, Matt Broom, and J. Scott Campbell featuring Brass, DEFCON 4, and Gen 13 characters, respectively. I want it. Give it to me. Uh, the grand prize winner will also receive a booster box of yummy scrumptious Wildstorms, Image Universe expansion set, game cards, and single issues of Brass, DEFCON 4, and Gen 13 autographed by Bennett, Broom, and Campbell. Not too shabby for just knowing the score, Second prize, 10 readers will each receive 10 packs of Wildstorm's Image Universe expansion cards and single issues of Brass, DEFCON 4, and Gen 13 autographed by Bennett, Broom, and Campbell. That's amazing. This contest is sponsored by Wildstorm Productions, and we can't tell them apart without a score card. Are they saying that all their characters look the same? Is that what that's supposed to mean? Hmm. Interesting. But yeah, an original piece of art that featured Gen 13 and others. I mean, I will say, I just read the Brass series, at least the first two issues. I found those at the same store. I got that Purgatory comic, and that is some pretty intricate and beautiful art, and a fairly decent story overall, so that would have been cool to see as well. Have not gotten into DEFCON 4, though. Should I be reading it? Alright, so let's check out the legal score. Contest is open to anyone except employees of Wizard Press, Wildstorm Productions, and their immediate families, or anyone with big brass, uh, never mind. <laughs> and next one here, offer void where prohibited, regulated, or restricted by law in a manner inconsistent with the purposes and rules hereof. Okay, this is bizarre. Mares eat oats, and does eat oats, and little lambs eat ivy. A kid'll eat ivy too. Wouldn't you? All these weird rhymes they come up with from time to time. It just I never know what is going on with these things. Is that like some old school rhyme that mothers told their children? Ah. Alright, let's go on to the last contest. Bowen Designs presents the Help Randy Out Contest. Master sculptor Randy Bowen is a busy guy. Heck, with Grendel and Hellboy statues, plus bookends, pins, model kits, and now his latest creation, Decapitator. He's always up to something. Now we need your help. But how can you help, you ask? Simple. 
simple. Tell Randy what you think his next project should be. Write in 100 words or less or draw a picture explaining what you think Randy's next creation should be. The talented Mr. Bowen will judge the entries and decide who the winners are based on creativity and enthusiasm. You could be the proud owner of one of these great prizes. Grand prize? Decapitator! One lucky reader will get a one-of-a-kind pre-production decapitator model, hand-painted by Randy himself. Each detail from the black antonials to the dripping slime is captured in all its grotesque glory. Second prize? Hellboy! Only four of these first-generation bust castings were ever made. This pre-production prototype is a casting taken directly from the original sculpture. Third prize? Grendel! This elegant sculpted statue of Hunter Rose is signed by Randy Bowen and Grendel creator Matt Wagner. Only 50 pieces were ever signed by both Wagner and Bowen. So literally all you have to do is fill out the form, write in what you want to see, and you're good to go. I mean, I'm trying to think at this moment in time, I would have to say it probably would have been a madman bust or sculpture. I know he did one. I don't know if it had been created by this point. If not, at least one of the Gen 13 kids. But how about all five? I would have been on board for that because I never had a Bowen statue. I never took my fandom that far. But let's check this out here. The painstaking legal craftsmanship. Contest is open to anyone except employees of Wizard Press. Bowen designs in their immediate family, or anyone who's ever actually decapitated someone. Yeah, I probably don't want to get those guys too riled up again. Next one here, offer void were prohibited, regulated, or restricted by law in a manner inconsistent with the purposes and rules hereof. Note, Brian Cunningham is not Randy. He's just anxious. <laughs> Brian Cunningham getting a shout out of the legal text. He's not Randy, baby. Yeah. All right, now it's time to actually open up some comics with... Robin's Reading Rainbow. All right, highlighted here in the pick section is Legion of Superheroes number 83. The writers here are listed as Tom Payer and Tom McCraw. The artists are Lee Motor, Michael Collins, and Ron Boyd, with a release date of June 26, 1996. Here's what it says. I like to tease Legion fans, admits writer Tom Payer. It's one of my favorite pastimes. I love to torment them like small animals. Needless to say, he wasn't exactly chatty about the dramatic events taking place in this issue. He only said enough to drive fans nuts. This issue kicks off a three-part arc that continues into Legionnaires 40 and Legion 84. It focuses on the Emerald Eye, for which Kinetics has been searching, and a battle with a returning villain, Dr. Regulus. It also features a key character who pays a terrible price. So who is it? I can't say, Payer states, but it's probably not a Legionnaire who's going to be widely guessed. That's not because of the person is brand new or underexposed, he teases. This character has been around for decades, and as far as I'm concerned, this character will never be back. This event has a long-term impact on the team, adds co-writer Tom McCraw. The aftershocks from this event affect everyone drastically for a long time to come, as do the effects of the Emerald Eye's appearance, adds Payer. We're not really big on doing events like killing people off unless it grows from the story. This does, and I think it'll prove that nobody in the Legion is safe. Oh yeah, like Fry and Apparition in last year's Legionnaires Annual 2 didn't do that already, you heartless sons of- <clears throat> 
<clears throat> Fans who have avoided the Legion books because they seem too complicated or appear to have a long history should give them another chance, says Payer. Quote, we try to write them so readers can start with an issue and understand what's happening. Aiding that is the roll call box opening each issue, which identifies the members and the fact that their powers usually can't be figured out from their names. What a concept! Quote, this issue is a good example of what the Legion is about, Payer says. It's a team adventure with some heart and a lot of danger for these poor young people. Besides, he adds slyly, everyone will want to be on board before issue 86. That one's going to change the whole status quo right up through number 100, he says. It's going to be a pretty major event. Give me a call when you're doing the big picks for that month and we'll talk. You can almost hear him cackling. So there are some promises made there, right? They're saying you should be able to pick up any issue and get caught up with the story. You should be able to understand on some level who the characters are because they're going to give you a roll call and that this is a three issue arc that all ties together. So that is what we are going to be doing today. We're going to be dissecting Legion of Superheroes number 83, Legionnaires number 40, and Legion of Superheroes number 84. Okay, so this is my first time reading a Legion of Superheroes book, definitely from the 90s. I will say back when I was first getting into comics and I was digging through back issue bins just grabbing whatever caught my interest, I did grab an old issue of Adventure Comics from the 60s, like the early days of the Legion of Superheroes that had like the female members of the Legion attacking the male members of the Legion kind of like saying, hey, we're in charge now type of thing, which was really interesting. I remember Supergirl was there and Superboy was there, so it was kind of a mixture of characters from the future and the past. I read it and I was like, okay, this is pretty interesting, but it didn't make me want to read any more Legion books. And then the next time I even heard the name Legion was that one that was like the L.E.G.I.O.N. And I think it was like Legion 91 or something in the early 90s that was being promoted in Wizard or at least, you know, just saw it on the comic book shelves. But overall, like the Legion of Superheroes concept, just like the X-Men, like I knew it had decades and decades behind it, was not interested in trying to catch up too many characters to keep track of in a story and yet uh, i think i was pleasantly surprised by what i found in these issues so let's get into it so the first issue here legion of superheroes number 83 has this whole thing about the emerald eye as was mentioned there which again not something i'm familiar with at all but apparently it was a character named kinetics who had been searching for it that's as much as i know from reading wizard and at this point it opens with the whole team there is like a big roll call of all the characters around this image that is a landscape image of everybody having been not defeated but rocked somehow by Regulus and they're mentioning that he caused some kind of earthquake. He's this guy in this kind of brown armor with a beard and the first thing that I'm wondering is like aren't all these characters supposed to be teenagers right? Like that's kind of the thing is that this is a group of you know teen superheroes and so some of the scantily clad costumes make me a little bit worried like gen 13 they were all at least in college you know and so i didn't quite feel so bad <laughs> but in this one like some of them i'm just like hmm i don't know about this i also thought it was interesting that a lot of the names have obviously been updated because i'm almost certain in the few things that i know about the legion that everybody was a lass or a lad but instead of like lightning lad and lightning lass they now have their own code names right 
light, which is something that I was not expecting, you know? So you have live wire for lightning lad type thing, and you have a spark for lightning last, that kind of stuff. Uh, but then a few of them still hung on to them, right? So you have like element lad, you have ultra boy, you know, like, so it's interesting where they kind of pick and chose to change the name. Saturn girl is definitely the one that seems to be kind of the main stalwart hero, I guess you would say. I think she had something to do with the founding of the team, if I remember correctly, but don't quote me on that because I'm not an expert. Now, of course, my question is, how are they going to handle all these storylines, all the motivations of these characters to make them interesting? And of course, they are battling this guy, Regulus, but in the middle of it, they kind of like stop for a few panels and each person gets their moment. Like Ultra Boy obviously has a girlfriend who died, who now is a ghost who can just kind of speak to him. And later she says she can appear to her mother, but nobody else can see her. So they kind of think he's a little bit nuts because he's always talking to her. And then there's this also this girl named Triad, who I'm sure at some point was called like Triplet Lass or something like she can split into three different bodies, but they're all different. So there's like, you know, kind of like a little younger girl who's a brunette. There's like a, a dark haired girl who's a little bit older than like this big redhead who basically looks like Fairchild from Gen 13. You know, she's real tall and muscular and they have this moment where they split apart and they can't recombine. So now, you know, the tall redhead is super excited about not being able to combine. But then the youngest one is like, well, I don't want to be a real person. I don't want to be an individual type thing. Right. And so also the weird thing that kind of happens throughout this book is people will just kind of stop, especially those who are romantically entangled. They're like, what are you doing here? You aren't supposed to be on this mission. Oh, you know, they just have these little just cutesy moments. It's so funny, but it's also a little bit jarring because you're like, is there a guy you're supposed to be subduing over here who's causing problems? But ultimately, they manage to have Regulus get the upper hand because they are on this planet that is run by this guy named Macaulay. And I guess the Legion is somehow involved in him. Like he hires them to work for him. I, that part, I don't know about the history, but they're on this like mining planet that he doesn't care about. He's basically like poisoned it with all his different chemicals that he's had. There's rivers of acid and all these things. But there's also these radioactive canisters. So Regulus, apparently part of his power is he can absorb that radioactivity. It makes him huge. And there's this other legionnaire named Leviathan who basically grows gigantic. And so he is ta keeps talking about there was a past legionnaire who died, which I assume this happens a lot. There are so many members. They can get rid of a few for dramatic effect over the years, right? And so he's talking about, oh, somebody died. It almost ruined my life. I'm not going to let it happen again to all my friends. So he basically goes and attacks Regulus and absorbs the radiation himself or something like that. And so he ends up all like, he's gigantic, but then he's dying and he's all burned and scarred from the radiation. And so everybody's like, I can't believe it. No, this is wrong. And shrinking Violet's like, no, I don't want it to be this way. I don't want it to be this way. And she zaps them all back to their Legion headquarters. The echo that it gave me, although this is many, many years before, is that, do you remember when Goliath gets killed in Civil War, right? So what is it with these giant heroes getting killed in the middle of battles? Doesn't it just feel like that's just maybe more dramatic because a giant body has to fall to the ground or something? I don't know. It was strange. But anyway, they are now regrouping and on to the actual story here. So the first question everybody has is, how did Shrinking Violet have the ability to transport everybody, you know, to teleport them off-world to their home base? Because her power is to shrink. She doesn't have this all-omnipotent power, or does she? So what they realize when they get back is that 
that, uh-oh, she has turned into something more than just shrinking Violet. Yes, she is Emerald Violet. Her costume is all green now, and she has this giant floating eye in front of her. And you're just kind of like, oh. And so that leads us into... Legionnaires issue 40. So, what Violet explains to everybody now that she is this maniacal, all-powerful being is that she got this eye from this orb, from this, I don't know, it's its like a, a literally just a giant eyeball, and it abused power on people, and Kinetics had been looking for it, but I guess Shrinking Violet found it earlier, and she'd kind of been keeping it a secret, but she explains, oh, well, this gave me confidence that I wasn't just a Shrinking Violet, that I just wasn't a nothing on the team, and so she became a leader and decided that she could really make a difference, and occasionally she would tap into the power, but not always, right? And so... So now she is saying, I can use this power to resurrect this Leviathan who just died. And I'm assuming she had some sort of romantic entanglement with him. And that is why she is extra interested in this. So what she does is basically forces everybody. She's like, hey, you three, you're going on this mission. You other people, you're going on this mission. And she's basically sending the different Legion members around to find some answers as to how to resurrect a body, right? So the first group goes, to this temple where there's this cult essentially that works to raise the dead. Like, they've never been successful or something. I think they said they were successful once, but it's one of those things where they're not necessarily like, oh yeah, we're perfect at this. Uh, so that happens. They basically said, no, we can't help you because number one, it's sacred to us. We're not going to share it with you. And, you know, two, you know, you just, you're an infidel. We wouldn't do it anyway. But then Violet is there and she's like, no. Like, she just appears in a vision like, you will do this. I said you on a mission. That is kind of how everything is playing out, where it's just this really like, whoa, okay, she's serious. Everybody's just deciding to play along until they can figure out what to do about it. But in the background, you have Saturn Girl. And Saturn Girl, apparently, she has a little bit of a telepathic powers. And so she's able to actually like kind of tap into everybody and be like, hey, you know, I'll speak to your mind. She's trying to get inside Violet's mind so she can break it apart. But that's not going well. And I guess they're calling her uh, officially, I just remembered on the cover, they're calling her Emerald Violet. Okay, so yeah, so it is Emerald Violet. But the main thing that happens in this issue that is so interesting is that she says, you all need to understand the power of the eye. You're not taking it seriously. And every time that she is mentioning the word I instead of the letter I it's E-Y-E like a literal eyeball which is pretty hilarious like just everything she says has to do with now I see that I must do this you know and uh, for example she gets uh, attacked by this officer Aaron who is part of the science police which kind of cracked me up but Emerald Violet just shrinks her down into a baby's body she still has an adult mind but now she is a little tiny tiny infant that has to be carried around by the other legionnaires, which is pretty funny. But so she just says, fine, you're all going to join me and you're going to understand what it's all about. And she transforms everybody on the team into basically what looks like a Green Lantern core, except that it is the eyeball core, right? Because they're all being controlled by this eye. And so they all get new green costumes. So that is the opening to Legion of Superheroes number 84, is that you're on the 
last page of Legionnaires 40, you see the costumes like where everybody's floating in space with this new green, you know, look. But then it's a, we get a full look at the costumes in Legion of Superheroes number 84. And you kind of think like, how much work did the artist have to put in to redesign all their costumes for like one issue? You know, it just makes you think like, are they going to use some of those designs later again? Because some of them look pretty cool. But the one thing I wanted to mention is these are supposed to be teenagers from what I understand. And they definitely look like kids, but sometimes like too much. You know, there's these tiny little bodies and these big heads. I mean, I'm impressed that the artists could actually put this many characters on a page and make them all look distinct on some level and, you know, give them, you know, their own motivations and their facial features and everything you're doing with them. But at the same time, some of them just look so tiny and little, and I don't know if it really uh, fits. And it might just be the aesthetic that I don't appreciate is that, you know, I don't like these little tiny, like they almost look like they belong in Elf Quest, I guess is how I would put it. And so I'm, I'm more like the teen superhero that look like more like 17, 18 look, not that look like elementary school kids in superhero costumes, because that's more what comes across some of these times. But anyway, now... Emerald Violet has her Emerald Legion, as she calls them, to command. And they basically become sort of a hive mind is what is going on. But Saturn Girl, again, with her telepathic powers, seems to be the one who was able to, to maintain some sort of independence of thought. And so she's trying to, like, get inside the mind of Violet. And she does manage to separate her for a second. So you see she's, like, herself. And then she's right next to the duplicate that was created by the eye. And so Saturn Girl's kind of like, don't you see, you know, it's forcing you to do, it's making you, you know, conquer your friends and force them to do things against their will and all that. But Violet still desires the power to be able to help her friends to be somebody significant. So she merges again. Now, what's also happening, though, is Saturn Girl gets blasted out of her green costume back to her regular outfit. You know, basically, you're not worthy to have the power of the eye to be part of the collective type thing. But she's still trying to, like, convince all the different Legionnaires, like, hey, by the way, don't you remember that you're actually, you know, a free thinking person? And is this right? What is happening and all of that? So the grand finale, you know, the final part of the master plan, Emerald Violet, just get all the legionnaires that are under her control, like they get this omnipotent power to like transmute matter or something. As far as I can tell, they have literally gone to Earth. Now, one of them is eliminating the English countryside. Like, it's really odd. Like, they just stand there and they're like, oh, this is useless. Blah. And then they just turn it into basically like green rock. And then they turn the satellite that is orbiting the Earth into a giant eyeball. And so Emerald Violet is talking about, you know, as I will cover the earth in precious emerald, as all who live will live as I wish. And then it says, as I wish for all, but that's imperialism. No, it is simply a right I claim. And what gives us that right? The eye's power? So now all of a sudden there's this struggle. And then you see that they are fighting amongst themselves, especially kinetics. She says, kinetics, you attack the eye? <laughs> Why not? I should have been the chosen one. I was on a quest for the eye. And it recognizes that. It's choosing me now, feeding me power. So it's weird, right? Like all the eye is still E-Y-E, but they seem to have this free thinking thought and you see that Saturn girls behind the scenes slowly breaking them all free. So now they're battling. You have kinetics and Emerald Violet attacking each other. 
Now, the funniest part of all of this, though, is that you have this member of the science police, Officer Aaron, who is still a baby, but now has a costume and a flight rig. And so she's carrying this huge gun and she's just blasting people away. But unfortunately, Kinetics gets like, I don't know what happened. I guess Emerald Violet zaps her, the eye zaps her and turns her into like this old decrepit body. Like she just is basically dying. And then you see that this is not what shrinking Violet wanted. She's becoming herself again. We weren't supposed to hate each other. I just wanted to be part of the group. I didn't want to destroy it. None of this should have happened. I want it undone. Take me back. Back in time. Undo it all. I command you. Take me back. Wa-boom. And you see the big eyeball satellite explode. And then that is it. That is the end of this story arc. As it tells us on the letters page, they will follow up with the aftermath of all of that. But there you have it. This uh, hmm, very interesting Legion of Superheroes story arc. So what was my takeaway, right? I heard from some of you on social media that this was one of the greatest team books of the 90s. You know, our guests on episode 59 said it was pretty good stuff. Here's what I'll say. I do think that the characters are handled pretty well in terms of being individualized in terms of each having their own little story arc going on. So, you know, okay, this character is involved with this person, but also has this history with this person and is struggling internally with these doubts about themselves or has this mission, whatever it is. Like, you know, there's the Brainiac 5 character keeps saying, am I invisible? Am I really here? Because he keeps talking to people and feels like he's being ignored, but it seems like he also seriously thinks that he might not be visible to anybody. And speaking of visible, by the end of this story, that invisible girl who was hanging out with Ultra Boy, now she is visible, but only to Saturn Girl. So now there's one more person that can see her. But, you know, so there's just these little things being resolved along the way. But I think for me, it is just too much soap opera. There are just so many characters that it really is hard to keep track, you know, because I hear it's literally, I think you have like 15 characters on this team, including one called Spider Girl, who seems to work in some command center. And I was like, Spider Girl? I guess she was created before Spider-Man, so maybe they were able to hold on to that name. But it was just one of those strange things where I just thought to myself, wow, like how could you possibly want to keep track of all these characters? Because there's bound to be like five you care about and then ten you don't. You know, you're just like, eh, I don't really like that design. I don't think that power set is cool. I don't think this struggle is something I relate to. And so overall, I would say that it is successful in what it is setting out to do, but I am not interested in this type of storytelling. And again, I certainly don't relate at this age in my life to these very, very young characters. There's not enough humor that is, you know, relatable to me. Like, why do I like Gen 13? Because that was my childhood. I get the pop culture references. I understand where they are coming from in terms of being in California. Like, it just so many things speak to me in that series. Whereas this is like, you know, Gen Eric teenagers in space. That's kind of how it feels like, but I know they're mostly Earth-based, but just future teenagers, right? They've got their own slang. They're always saying grief, G-R-I-F-E. I I don't know if it's grief or grief, you know, is their exclamation of, you know, some sort of exasperation. Uh, The other thing that I will say, though, I did like the redesigns. If they were like the junior Green Lantern Corps, you know, Green Lantern Sector 90210, I think that might have worked for me a little bit better. They might have felt more united. I might have understood where they were coming from. So they 
there's an idea. Hey, DC, why don't you do it? Um, but overall, I would just say that it was something that definitely not for me, but I could see how it would be appealing because it was executed well enough where I could mostly follow what was going on, even if I felt like there were too many side tangents I didn't care about. But I could certainly see for somebody who likes that style of storytelling and that type of world to be built out, definitely appealing. For those of you who love the Legion, more power to you. But hey, on to the next segment. Yes, indeed, it's time for our Mort of the Month. Our Mort this time around is Balloon Buster, who has got a cowboy look. He's got green pants, he's got his cowboy hat, he's got a red bandana around his neck. Let's see what he's got going on here. Having to dig through old comics for these Morts of the Month is my penance for roasting insects with a magnifying glass as a kid. With the manly Balloon Buster, aka Stephen Henry Savage Jr., I've gotta be about even. Anyway, this ornery cowpoke swore on his dad's deathbed that the name Savage would be remembered. So, did he go off to hawk slim jibs and wear tassels? Nah. This tough as leather ombre made a name for himself by popping German combat balloons during World War One. Yeah, like the little rascals couldn't pull that one off. Hmm. Well, it is a little bit cooler than I imagined. I thought he was going to be shooting down like hot air balloons of rich people who like took over his family farm or something. I mean, yeah, fighting in World War One, that's not too bad, but the name is terrible. I mean, honestly, just go by BB at the very least. And if anybody asks, then you tell them what it stands for. All right, let's get into something else here. So one little piece of fun that Wizard added into this issue that we did not discuss was the Superhero High School Yearbook from 1976. And it has a little uh, sticky note on the top. It says, hey, seeing as school's out for most folks, we thought it might be neat to take a look back at a superhero yearbook from way back when. So we'll definitely be posting this to social media. Uh, but it's kind of interesting to see all the depictions here, the various characters that you might not expect to see a younger version or to understand that they went to school together as this is telling us. First one here, they have Archie Andrews but he's in handcuffs. He looks so joyous but he's got the handcuffs on. It says 32 times senior prom king, only student to never bag Betty or Veronica, voted most likely to have chopped up and eaten one of his neighbors. Quote, hey, want to know the real reason we call him Moose? No thanks, Archie. <laughs> Alright, next one here is Hope Rodriguez, captain of the undead pep squad, nicest pupil aside runner-up in a Shelley Long look-alike contest, voted most likely to battle Satan and usurp the throne of hell and eradicate all life from Earth. Quote, I want to be an inspiration to other women. You know, 
be a good girl. Of course, they're talking about Lady Death, who is not scantily clad, just wearing a nice t-shirt and carrying in her books. So, yeah, that's kind of interesting, though. I don't get the Shelley Long look-alike contest, though, because there's no resemblance there. Absolutely not. Uh, they have Victor Von Doom, conquered and currently reigning over hockey team, drama club, home act club, France, voted most likely to try and take over the world, but get repeatedly beaten by a guy whose only superpower is that he's stretchy and stuff. Quote, Tardy, tardy, bah, do me not sign for homeroom. All right, this one's pretty funny to me. Conan Goldberg, wrestling team, boxing team, deflowering team, having team, eviscerating team, decapitation team, dismemberment team, bludgeoning team, foot your ass team, pull off ugly monster head team, have sex with anything in a coconut bra team chorus <laughs> so he liked to sing every once in a while so the artist on all of these by the way i didn't mention this is actually tom grummet you know brian douglas ahern was usually the one they would bring in for these special art projects but they actually got tom grummet from dc comics to do these sketches uh this one here is interesting they have matthew murdoch and it says matt wasn't on any team nor was he the president of any club like everyone else who's different matt was picked on by those who made themselves feel important by making others feel like second class citizens. Kind of funny, though, that he faced the wrong way during class photos. So that's the joke. Matt Murdock was blind, and so we just see the back of his head in his yearbook photo. Not very sensitive there, wizard. But wouldn't she know it? Right next to him is Electra Nachos. Although, she's got like a peace sign shirt and some glasses. She's flashing a peace sign and it says, Puncture Club, Stab Club, Pointy Weapon Thingy that we forget the name of, but that mutant turtle guy also uses club. It's called a sigh, fellas. Secretary of How to Catch Ray or tip cards in your throat club voted most likely to be created by Frank Miller. <laughs> and then next here is uh, the Red Skull, Johann Schmidt, but he has hair. <laughs> yeah, it actually just looks like a, a nice boy from the 70s, definitely. It says here, voted most likely to attempt genocide, winner of Joseph Mengel Biochemical Scholarship, president of the Young Republicans Club, quote, To all of those who have picked on me and nailed me in the head with jelly donuts, I will kill you all dead. Un my head yet. I don't know what that last one means. Un my head yet? Now, next one here is, I think he's supposed to be the Tinkerer or something like that. Uh, it says Chauncey Delbert. I don't know whose secret identity that is, but it says president of the chess club, math league, AD&D team, winner of the build an awesome android that always gets his ass kicked and really isn't all that awesome scholarship. Quote, hey, you finished with that sandwich? So I don't know if he's the mad thinker. Maybe that's who it is. I think it's the mad thinker. Then they have Wally West, but he's all blurry in the photo. That's the joke. Class flirt, cross-continent track team, can't stop vibrating team, president of let's all use the time platform and go back in time and screw with history team, voted most likely to have a tapeworm or something. Huh? That's weird. I'm not going to read the next one here because it is not appropriate. I'm going to post this to social media. You can guess which one I think is, yeah, in poor taste. But the next one here is the first meeting of the TBKWDGA, Teen Ball Kids Who Can't Get Any. The inaugural meeting of the TBKWDGA saw its founding members from left to right, Chuck Xavier, Will Fisk, Lex Luthor, and Charles Brown, kick off the gala event in grand style by sitting on the couch and eating corn chips while salivating over Cindy Crawford workout videos. <laughs> oh, poor the bald kids. I was speaking about Charlie Brown, though. I was just at a fun little, uh, 
parade in my wife's hometown this weekend. And while I was there, there was this like 60 year old guy dressed up as Charlie Brown. Like he just was there. He had the Charlie Brown shirt. He had the black shorts. He had the knee high socks pulled up and he was balding, not completely bald, but it just cracked me up. There's got to be a story there. I didn't ask him, but I just seeing a Charlie Brown in the wild. You got to love it. All right. On to some more fun. Time to get back in and check out the rankings with our top 10 comics. So they did mix it up a little bit here. These are for May 1996. And at the top of the list is Preacher number one. The king is dead. Long live the king. Now that Sandman has wrapped up its award-winning run, the new king of the Vertigo Hill is Preacher. The ultraviolet saga of Preacher Jesse Custer, his kind of girlfriend, Tulip, and Cassidy. Your typical Irish fun-loving drinking vampire. Jesse's got the Genesis power, which means what he says, you do. And now he's on a quest to find God, who left his heavenly post and tell him to get back to work unbelievably cool stuff from the team of writer garth ennis and artist steve dillon amalgam the fact that this book is actually a great read with its fairly itty print run and it's no surprise how it got pole position none of that makes sense or is related like they they just randomly put in amalgam like they don't even give you a definition it finishes off in parentheses too hmm seeing as how there are less preacher number twos than issue number ones wonder how long it'll be before issue number two rises to the top of the charts but yeah the editing on that one i feel like uh, our team that was criticizing the editing on another piece of the this issue uh, could go back and clean this one up a bit but in the number two spot is wolverine 100 what after nearly a decade of slowly removing the animalistic fury that made wolverine such a cool character the powers at marvel finally gave him back in a big way hey marvel here's a hint when you have a cool adamantium berserker don't tame him when you've got a cool spidery jokester don't clone him anyway after enduring hideous torture this gala 100th ish wolverine reverts to a bestial state escapes his captivity and hunts down his tormentors, reminding us that what Wolvie's best at isn't very nice. So yeah, Wolverine uh, climbing the charts again there. I will tell you that around this time, the Wolverine Tribute Edition special issue is happening, so we will be covering that soon, and they do discuss some of the details of that issue there. But then in the number three spot, we've got Dawn number one. She was number one last issue. What happened? You know, it's almost impossible to write any more stuff on these bad girl books. We made all the silicone, gravity, and back problem jokes. We've told Told you what the stories are about we've talked about the art the creators low print runs everything hell even listing all the things we normally talk about only fills a little more than half the write-up we're stuck doomed we can't even make up funny nonsense stuff because we're so bummed about wade and garney leaving captain america <sighs> maybe the next book will revitalize us she number one they'll put out this garbage with this girl with big boobs a fishnet bodysuit heels and guns with really poorly drawn and horribly written stories just crap that exciting quote comes from she creator billy tucci himself courtesy of his wizard number 56 interview nope bill's not too keyed on the whole bad girl thing but what qualifies as a bad girl is she a bad girl is wonder woman lady death vampirella we'll see is how the whole bad girl phenomenon is losing steam pretty quickly we guess we'll see who the bad girls were all right and i guess that's sort of true i mean they're kind of predicting the end of it but it does run you know into the end of the decade i mean it really does hang on a few of these titles at least all 
All right, number five is the X-Files. Is Scully a bad girl? Let's see. Bad girls don't accomplish anything. Scully never accomplishes anything. Bad girls beat the hell out of people. Scully shot Mulder once. Yeah, we'd say she's a bad girl. Toss in the fact that she's got a cult hit TV show, an underprinted first issue comic, and it's a wonder we don't have a dozen Scully spinoffs. Hey, a Scully Razor team-up would be the coolest thing since Kirby's Galactus, right? If she just ditched that Peter Weller school of acting dropout David Duchovny, she'd be our flavor of the month. <laughs> <laughs> that actually would be fascinating if Scully was just scantily clad fighting some large-breasted alien creature. I don't know. Uh, could be an interesting issue of the X-Files if they really wanted to boost sales. All right, number six, DC versus Marvel number one. This book was wrong. It was cool Marvel and DC teaming up like this, but Lobo kicks Wolverine's ass? Batman KO's cap? Somebody fell asleep at the wheel. Wolverine's a much better character than Lobo, but Lobo went toe-to-toe -to -toe with Superman while heavily intoxicated and held his own. He would have smeared Wolvie in under a minute. Now Batman can beat anybody when he puts his mind to it. Superman, Flash, Hulk, everybody takes a backseat to bats. Except Cap. Maybe Cap can't score like Batman, but he kicks tail like nobody's business. It was kind of a cheap fight. <laughs> Alright, in the number 7 spot is Hitman number 1. Another new entry into the mighty top 10, Hitman number 1 drives home a point that should be known to most of you comic fans. Garth Ennis is hot. Really hot. In addition to Mr. Ennis's skilled pen to paper ability, this ish stars Tommy Monahan, aka Hitman, superpowered assassin. He's got x-ray vision, can read minds, and is a real mean shot. And what he does is kill metahumans. His latest target? The Joker, current resident of Arkham Asylum. Of course, if you want to hear our thoughts on Hitman, make sure you go back a couple mini-episodes and check out that review. That really was a fun read. I truly enjoyed that. All right, number eight, Lady Death number one. Jeez, the next three books are bad girl books. Does anybody buy comics with guys in skin-tight costumes anymore? Wait, uh, that sounded all wrong. We don't mean to insinuate that we like guys in tight pants or that we like snapping little people with towels at public bathhouses. We just say, I catch the hockey game last night? Tough game. Uh, plenty of fights. Uh, we were loud, drank beer, and made sure no one around us enjoyed the game. We scratched ourselves. Oh man, we're sinking fast. Quick, on to the next book. Lady Death, The Odyssey number one is in the number nine spot. We're two books from the end, and we've run out of things to talk about. Wait, this book's kind of new. We could give you the story lowdown and stuff. Brace yourselves. Some nutty angel tells Lady Death she'll be facing serious challenges in preparation for the future, so a powerless elder finds herself in a frozen jungle where little jungle chicks beg her to free them from an evil lady serpent called Agony. LD beats her, the jungle comes to life again, and Lady Death zapped to some wacky desert. Huh. It says sound like quite an odyssey. Uh, finally, number 10, Angela number 1. Woohoo! Almost there! Aside from having the nigh unmatchable selling power of Todd McFarlane name attached to it, he surely is a popular little cowpoke, eh? Angela also has the luxury of having Spawn's name attached to her with a new limited series of the works expect your appearances to climb the charts and that's it we're spent nothing left to say if this were a top 11 chart we'd all be dead right now and you'd have to go read marvel age or something good night <laughs> wow so this was just a big we're running out of steam we got nothing else to say about these top 10 lists i'm actually curious to know how much longer they keep doing the top 10 because you know they got rid of the top 10 heroes and villains because they had run out of things to say and the same people over and over again were in the slots and seems 
like the top 10 list is almost the same deal, so could we be reaching the end? Ooh, time will tell. Well, that does it for this edition of Wizards Half. Thank you very much for joining me. Of course, if you want to stay connected, find us on social media, at Wizards Comics on Twitter, at Wizards underscore comics on Instagram. Find our YouTube channel, Wizards Podcast, and subscribe. Always have fun new haul videos going on there, especially if you haven't checked out our latest. I found some really cool posters. We talked a lot about Lady Death in this issue, and uh, there was a lot of Lady Death in the latest video, so make sure you check out the Wizard Magazines and Merch video is the title of that one. Uh, You're probably wondering, then, what is coming up next for Wizards? Well, I will tell you this. We do not have a full main episode coming up the following Wednesday because we have a special interview that we've been teasing for a while. Yes, Jimmy Palmiotti, inker extraordinaire, writer, publisher, fantastic guy, overall mainstay of comics since the 90s, joined us for a very fun conversation. Michael had a blast talking to him, so did I. So stay tuned for that. And then you can expect another main episode. And it's a big one. It's episode number 60. Yes, we're covering Wizard 60. Michael was not able to make that episode, but we had a really cool guest, a gentleman named Adam Riches, who does a lot of G.I. Joe specifically, uh, comic book art, uh, as well as the art on the packages of G.I. Joe toys. But I mean, he's done so much more than that. We get into it. And he is a Wizard super fan. He literally has a full run of Wizard and a full run of Toy Fair magazine. He was uh, more than happy to come on and talk to us about his experiences. And we had a very, very fun conversation. Hey, two Adams for the price of one. Do you think you can handle it? Then get ready for the fifth anniversary bash issue of Wizard coming at you in two weeks. But in the meantime, keep your books bagged and boarded. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.